The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to The Murder in My Family, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, DNA ID, Three Men and a Mystery, Malice, Zodiac Speaking, Riddle Me That, and All Things Crime. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for episode 82 of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be discussing the still unsolved murder of a mother of three, Norma Mae Martinez Cooper, who was killed 15 years ago this month in the state of Texas. We'll dive into her story after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this show, please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast. And be sure to introduce a friend of the show and invite them to listen. With your help, the Murder of My Family can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam, or by searching for the Murder of My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support the show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder of my family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content now heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank Juniper Hensley, and thank you to all the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. One last note, please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on The Murder of My Family, the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsors' support that the show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. Thank you, and now on with the show. Norma Mae Martinez Cooper was born in Portsmouth, Virginia on January 26, 1966, to Robert Norma Cooper. Named after her mother, Norma often was referred to as May. May, who enjoyed knitting and drawing, wound up moving to the state of Texas, 
living in cities such as San Marcos and Austin before settling in Longview. She married her husband, Patrick Martinez, in the mid-1980s, and the pair worked together in a traveling carnival that Patrick's uncle owned. Later, the couple had three children, which included two daughters, Patricia and Amber, and a son, James. The marriage lasted over 10 years, but the couple divorced in 1996. After the marriage ended, May began working on her own, mostly doing industrial cleaning. She was described as a hard worker with a strong will. At the end of most days, May would unwind and relax by having a cup of tea and talking to her mom on the phone. May was last seen on April 19, 2006. She had been at the Texan Motel on Marshall Avenue in Longville around 11 p.m. Her body was found at about 2.30 a.m. on the following day, five miles away. May had been beaten to death and her body was left near the interstate at the intersection of Eastman Road and North Access Road. She had no ID with her, bruises covering her body, and trace amounts of Xanax in her bloodstream. Authorities still can't piece together what happened in that short amount of time 15 years ago. They don't know how May ended up on North Access Road. And if there's anyone that has more details, they haven't spoken up. Police haven't been able to identify anyone that was with May that night, or might be able to provide more details about her final hours. The Texan Motel that May was last seen at was not in a good area. East Marshall Avenue in Longview has long been known for illegal activities like sex work and drug use. In 2015, a bloody body was found at the Marshall Avenue American Dream Inn, and witnesses spotted a man running away covered in blood. Even as recently as 2016, police were still pushing to lower the crime rate in that specific area, and business owners were worried about the crime happening nearby along Interstate 80, which is called Marshall Avenue, where it runs through Longview. Authorities there have performed drug and sex trafficking stings, and continue to wrap up enforcement efforts to clean up the area and rid it of crime. Along North Access Road, which seems like an easy way to get off and on Highway 20, are multiple hotels and fast food restaurants. Across Highway 20 off South Access Road are mostly public works utilities, hotels, and gas stations. This area looks like it gets a lot of traffic from out-of-towners and truck drivers passing through. The somewhat isolated road surrounded by wooded areas makes it a prime location to dump a body off and take off quickly without being discovered. You could be in Oklahoma, Arkansas, or Louisiana within two hours. The area that Normal is found in is about five miles south of where she had last been seen at the Texan Motel. Eastman Avenue, or U.S. Route 259, runs north and south and intersects with Interstate 80. It seems logical that the person that disposed of May's body had access to a vehicle and drove along these roads. May's sister, Linda Wilson, still fights tirelessly to try and bring her sister some justice and prevent another person from ever going through what her sister did the night she died. One reason that Linda feels so compelled to not give up is that when she saw her sister, the condition of her body was terrible and Linda immediately knew that no one deserved to go through what May had gone through. It was a brutal death. But May was more than a victim of a horrible crime. She was a mother of three, a wife, a sister, a daughter, an aunt, cousin, and a friend. And her tragic murder left a void.
void in people's lives. But it turns out that May wasn't the only woman who went missing or was killed in that area of Texas in 2006. A woman was found off Fritz Swanson Road in Kilgore, Texas, about 10 miles southwest of Longview, in October 2006. Her body was badly burned, and identification was impossible. She was given the nickname Lavender Doe because she was wearing a purple sweater. A man named Joseph Wayne Burnett was arrested in August 2018 on suspicion of murder after 28-year-old Felicia Pearson's body was found in the woods in the Longview, Texas area. Burnett confessed to Felicia's murder, as well as the murder of Lavender Doe, who in reality turned out to be 21-year-old Dana Dodd. In August 2006, 24-year-old Brandy Wells vanished from Longview. Her car was found on Interstate 20 at Texas Highway 31, with her wallet and purse still inside. Many people linked Burnett to Brandy's disappearance, but authorities have not publicly linked him to her case, and he has nothing to gain from confessing to another murder, especially if he can't be linked to it without his own confession. In December 2020, Burnett received three sentences of 50 years each, but will serve them concurrently, meaning he is only expected to spend 50 years in prison. It's unknown if Burnett might be connected to May's case. Around the country, there are many more victims with no family to fight for answers. Unidentified does may have family looking for them in all the wrong places, and some victims with confirmed identities simply have no living family members, or they were estranged from their family and have no one looking for them. But a bit of luck was on Norma Mae Martinez Cooper's side, and that was her family was looking for her. And her sister Linda worked tirelessly for years, and still does, to try and figure out what happened to her sister. Linda and her family have not given up hope that the case will be solved. For years, she's put up posters with information about her sister's case, and the few known circumstances of her last night alive. Someone someplace knows something about what happened to Norma May that night. And if they come forward, they may help prevent another family from experiencing the same tragedy as Norma May's family. May's family is still offering a reward of $1,300 leading to answers in her case. And there was also a Crime Stoppers reward of $1,000 being offered. Police could really use tips and answers. If you can provide them and know anything about May's whereabouts on the night of April 19, 2006, or you have any information about her death, please call the Longview Police Department at 903-237-1199. You can also call Greg County Crime Stoppers anonymously on their 24-hour tip line at 903-236-7867. May's sister Linda sat down with me to discuss this tragic murder and her own efforts to get justice for her sister. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Hey everyone, spring is here, and for many people, this is the time when we want to get out and get active. But for some of us, it's easier said than done, because often, things that have been weighing on us don't magically go away with the change of seasons. But the good news is, there is help, and that help is called BetterHelp. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, then BetterHelp Online Counseling just might be the right solution for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient, and you can start communicating with a counselor in under 24 hours. This isn't self-help. It's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor at any time, 
You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp can assist you with so many things, from trauma, depression, and anger issues, to LBGT matters, grief, stress, and so much more. Anything you share is confidential, and while BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, it is convenient, professional, and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of The Murder of My Family, you'll get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com family. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Once again, go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot slash family, and you'll save 10% on your first month of BetterHelp. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, Linda, and thanks for coming on to discuss your sister Norma's case with us. Hi, Mike. I uh, appreciate you being here. I know you've been searching for answers in your sister's case for what will be 15 years this coming April. How tough has this time been for you and the rest of your family? Uh, It's been pretty difficult. Uh, The way my sister was murdered, I saw her body before um, the funeral home did anything to her, and it was pretty bad. So it's been rough, (laughs) to say the least. And I guess... Seeing that is is something that's probably etched in your mind that you won't forget. Right. It kind of drives me to continue doing what I'm doing. So we've got to catch this killer. Yeah. And were you and your sister close? Um, Sometimes. (laughs) We kind of had a love-hate relationship. We loved to hate each other, but we loved each other a lot. So. Yeah, I find it's common in a lot of uh, sibling <laughs> relationships that they can be at each other's throats, but then uh, at other times be as, as close as, you know, can be. What I wanted to talk about before we get into the the details of Norma's death, can you talk a little bit about her life? Maybe tell us a little bit about Norma and what kind of person she was? Well, she was the baby of the family. Um she, her and her husband were divorced, but they had three children, um, James, Patricia, and Amber. And she got to meet her, her uh, first grandson just a few months before she died. She was uh, a good person. She, I mean, she would give you the shirt off her back. You know, she was a little bit tough sometimes, but she, she loved people and she loved helping others. And she, um, you know, she was bipolar, and so she was kind of off again, on again with a drug problem. She was actually on the drug side of it when she died. And how long had she been battling both, you know, mental illness and her, I guess, addiction problems? Oh, my goodness. I can't. It's, it had been years, probably in her mid-20s, I would think, about... So at the time, you mentioned she had three kids. Were they younger when when she was killed? I know you mentioned she was also a grandmother, so I assume at least um, some of them were older. Yeah, her youngest one was 16. That was Amber when she died. 
Um, Patricia is the oldest, and let me see, I think she was probably around 22-ish, somewhere around there. And then James is in the middle. How did they handle this when when this happened to their mom? Well, they were all devastated. Um, I'm not sure which one it hit harder. James was very close with his mom, but um, Amber, the youngest one, had been into an argument uh, with her mom. It's the last conversation that they had. And so it really hit her pretty hard, you know, because it was that argument before her death. Uh, does she, I guess that's a, a, no one wants to end a, you know, last time they see someone they loves ended on a bad note. That must've been something that's haunted her a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite difficult for her. When your sister was murdered, um, what was going on in her life at that time? Did she have any relationships? Was she, uh, what was her job and and home situation like? Well, she uh, was actually getting ready to move back to Arkansas. She was in Texas at the time in Longview, but she was getting ready to move back to Arkansas um, within the next two weeks. And, uh, but she worked for herself. She, you know, did odd jobs, did a lot of cleaning. She had her own cleaning business at one point. I'm not sure about when she died, if, if that was actually going on or not. She did was in a relationship with uh, Bobby Fursby, um, which I'm not real sure how good of a relationship it was, you know, but that, it, was, it is what it is, I guess. Did you find out right away? How did that all come about that you found out what happened to your sister? Well, she was murdered. Um, they found her body about, I think, around 1.20 on the morning of April 20th um, in 2006. And we didn't find out until the next morning, late that morning, the next morning on the 21st. They, uh, She didn't have any identification on her, but they did uh, run her fingerprints, and they did have her fingerprints in the system and, and uh, contacted her ex-husband, Pat Martinez. And he let my mom, my mom know. I guess that, especially for a parent, finding that out about their their child, that must have been really tough on her as well. Oh yeah, yeah. My mom has cancer right now, and she's not doing well at all. And I'm just praying that we can get answers to her before she dies. And that's probably something for the last 15 years that she's wanted desperately as well to to find out who did this. Yeah. Yeah. When you obviously, and I don't know if you were living out out of Texas at that point, uh, if you were in Arkansas where you, where you live now, but do you know what what the Texas situation was going on? Did she have any friends or support system there that that was helping her at the time she was killed? Well, I know there was one girl that that um, touched base with me. She um, had been staying, my sister Norma had been staying at Kathy's and helping Kathy's uncle at the time. Um, You know, he was an older gentleman. He since passed away, but she was taking care of him and, you know, kind of doing personal care things for him and lighthouse work and running errands and things for him. And Kathy's, you know, she was pretty good friend with her. Did she, was she getting along with everyone as far as you know? No no one that she had any kind of run-ins or anything? Not that I'm aware of. I know there was uh, one person that she told my mother. She spoke with my mother every day. Um, 
you know, before she died. And she told her that there was one gentleman that she was kind of afraid of. And, you know, of course, the police have looked into him and ruled him out as a suspect in her death. But that's the only person that I know that, uh, you know, she had any kind of concerns about or any kind of, you know, I don't really think there was a, a, uh, uh, situation, a, a derogatory situation or anything. And when she was killed, she was, it looked like she had been beaten, maybe thrown out of a car. You mentioned seeing her and how painful that was. Um, do you know what the official cause of death was ruled to be? Uh, blunt force traumas. And, and could you, was that to her head and face area or? Well, she had uh, bruises and markings all over her body, um, especially to her face and her head. It looked to me like when I saw her at the at the funeral home, it looked to me like there was a, a, the impression of a gun butt in her right forehead, you know, along with quite a bit of bruising, a busted lip. Her eye was all red and jacked up. That's not the way you want to remember a family member. No, no. Did police find as far as you know any clues or any evidence at the scene something that might give them a maybe a leg up to to look at for for leads or clues the only thing that they have is uh, some dna they found some dna um under her nails and on a on an article of uh well her hands were tied behind her back or over her head and they found some dna on the speaker wire that that was used to bound her hands. Have they been, as far as you know, and I don't know if they've maybe not shared that, but have they been able to do anything with that DNA and maybe match it to someone? No, not yet. They're working on a few things right now, which I can't really go into detail, you know, but, but they are working on some additional DNA evidence from a suspect. And uh, if they, rule that out, then they are talking about possibly using Parabon. Oh, that's a wonderful, wonderful service. They've done so much, so much good. We hear about all these cases being solved all the time now. Um, yes. <laughs> so that I'm that, excited about that. <laughs> that could be welcome news for your, for your family then. Um, so is, you mentioned, I just want to go back for a second. You mentioned there was uh, someone that your sister mentioned she was afraid of that person mm-hmm. was apparently ruled out. Do you know if there's anyone else that may have had a motive to harm her or anyone else that may have also been ruled out maybe by police that, that was promising? Um, as far as I know, nobody, I mean, I don't know that anybody had anything against her, you know, especially to the point where they would kill her over it. Um, there were, you know, they've had a couple of suspects here and there, but, um, they always tell me that it doesn't pan out. So do you know, have you been able to establish like the last day she was alive? Um, is there any evidence she was abducted from someplace or can you tell us a little bit about that last day before she was killed? Well, I know that her and Bobby, um, had been seen. Uh, buying drugs from this the one person that she said that she had been afraid of and um they had been i guess the police were doing surveillance or something and they had them videotaped and uh, her and bobby were staying at the tex and motel in longview 
and they had gone back there. And Bobby said that May went, she left around 1130. And uh, that was the last time that he saw her. So we don't really, we don't really know where she was killed. Um, I don't think it was there where her body was found. I believe that they came off the inner. In fact, I know they came off the interstate in a vehicle and pushed her body out when they um, came off the interstate onto the access road on Southeastman. You you mentioned surveillance, uh, a little bit of that. And obviously today we have a lot of surveillance going on. Do you know if there's any surveillance in that area back at that time that maybe police looked at or checked, checked out? I really don't know. They, I never, I've never thought to ask them that, and they've never mentioned that. So, you know, of course, that was 15 years ago. I don't know what kind of surveillance they had back then. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's always been some level of it, but especially now, you know, you can't go outside without seeing a camera almost at every corner of some sort or something on someone's home surveillance or store surveillance. But uh, maybe that's something they. If they haven't checked that out, maybe they, they could at some point um, to, to see if there's anything there. Now, um, it, se- it seems like, obviously, uh, your sister was beaten and her hands, you mentioned, tied. So it doesn't seem like someone just on the spur of the moment uh, attacked her, maybe out of an ar- in an argument or dispute. It seems like someone took the time to tie her hands behind, you know together that seems like maybe there's it wasn't a spur of the moment action what what do you what do you think about that well i i kind of think that it was somebody that she knew honestly i just feel that and um you know there was evidence that she was sexually assaulted so i don't know if you know it was somebody that she knew that had done that or if you know i just don't know The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So that's something to uh, work with, you know, that maybe could rule out or tend to rule out maybe a a drug deal gone bad or something along the, those lines. Maybe it was the motive for the attack was, a, you know, sexual in nature, not a uh, uh, not drug related that could also help police, you know, go in the right direction. Right. Well, on her autopsy report, I mean, there was very little drugs found in her system at the time, to be honest with you. And that's and that's maybe further supports that, that she wasn't in the middle of something like that. And uh, maybe she just came into the contact with the wrong random person. Or like you mentioned, maybe someone that she knew and trusted targeted her. Right, yeah. Was she a trusting person? Was she someone that would go off with someone she didn't know? Or what was her nature like as far as that goes? Well, I mean, she was she was trusting to a point, but I don't really. She still was kind of leery of people. 
my sister literally had nine lives and um, she had gotten herself into some pretty hanky situations before. And, and uh, so that kind of, you know, helped her to be cautious to a degree, but not completely, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you see people that are, that have a knack for getting out of sticky situations and <laughs> sometimes that keeps them it warns them, it helps them in the future to avoid them, but other times they find themselves in there and, and find another way to work, their, get out of the situation. If, and, and this is something, again, I just want to touch on, maybe this is something that you mentioned they're doing some work now um, behind the scenes. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of information released in this case. Um, is that because they chose not to, do you know, or because they just don't have a lot to go on. They really just don't have a lot to go on. They really don't. Um, they've had a few leads here and there. They had a one woman who had called the uh, uh, criminal investigation um, departments on a weekend and said that he knew she knew who killed that Cooper woman because uh, he had beat her too. And when they tried to find her, they couldn't find this lady. So. Um, you know, what any information that they have been able to get hold to, it has been a complete dead end. And, you know, outside of the little bit of DNA and her body, they really don't have any other information or any other kind of clues or anything. And, and you bring up a good point. You mentioned people maybe calling in information or, or talking about what they may or may not know. A lot of times after this kind of crime, there's rumors or people in the streets talking has there been any kind of indication or rumors floating around that, that you've been made aware of no absolutely not in fact um at one point this has been a, several years ago they had a, a drug sting and um they arrested 57 people mike and they offered each and every one of them a deal for any information in her murder and nobody would say anything yeah, and you, you think they would take advantage of that if they did know something? Yeah, you would think so. But, um, you know, people, whenever they bring up her name, they seem to clam up. Yeah, and maybe that's because they legitimately don't know anything, and, and maybe it is not drug-related. It's outside of that circle. Um, and maybe that lends credence to the fact that they they just don't know anything or maybe they're afraid of saying something because yeah they're afraid that's, of that's, someone yeah that's what i was told at one point by one of the investigators that they thought that people were just afraid to say anything and and i know there the good thing about that is over time people that are afraid of some saying something at one point may be brave enough to say something in the future because uh, maybe they're, someone they were afraid of is in jail or is, is passed away, and they're, they'll come forward with information that they, they wouldn't share earlier. So maybe that's something that could still benefit the case. Yeah, that's, I'm believing for that. I'm just waiting for that day to come because some, you know, people know something about my sister's death, and, and uh, eventually somebody is going to come forward and say something that's going to give them leads. So. And I know you've been busy over the years. You've been busy trying to keep attention on the case um, and, and keep it out in the spotlight. I know you've put up flyers and you've done interviews and things like that. Um, is there anything 
more that you would like to do that you haven't been able to do? Or is there anything maybe that the police might be able to do that they haven't done yet? Well, the fact that they're finally um, considering bringing Parabon in is is just phenomenal to me because I've been trying for the last couple of years to get them to look at that because at this point, I feel like that may be our only way of, of uh, solving this murder. Um, I, I did, a year after her death, I had America's Most Wanted wanted to do a story on her and um the detectives in Longview said absolutely not because it's still an open investigation. If I could get, you know, America's Most Wanted or, you know, somebody else to possibly do a, um, you know, a, a segment on her, that I would love for something like that to happen, that opportunity again. I did have um, um, a pastor who's also an investigative reporter out of Searcy County, Arkansas, who wanted to do her story. And, you know, there again, they just would not contact him or, or, um, you know, really help put anything into perspective for him to be able to do that report. He had actually had one of his stories um, featured on Dateline about a man who faked his own death. And so I thought, wow, surely they'll, you know, want to, want to get his help, but they didn't. So, and that's that's got to be frustrating to to maybe have an opportunity or, or but not have uh, the police cooperate with them to to help make a, a show or an episode a TV episode happen about the case. Yeah, very frustrating. And, and I understand on one hand the police want to keep everything that they can close to the vest to try and protect the case. But on the other hand, it's a, it's a good opportunity to really get some attention on the case. So it, it, it's got to be a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. And I understand their, their position as well. But, you know, it's my sister. And if it was their sister, would they have done things differently? Sure. And we mentioned, you're, again, you've done the interviews. you put up flyers. Ha, has it been a bit of a hurdle being that the, the crime happened in another state? How far is that from you distance wise? Oh, wow. Um, I know it's about 12 hours or so. Uh, it's about a 12 hour drive. It's been, it's been quite a challenge. I've, I've done some phone interviews with, um, uh, the paper there and with, uh, Bob Hallmark is, was one of the, um, news reporters that was very uh, interested in, in helping solve her case. I've done phone interviews with them, and I think I've made three trips down there, but it's been a little while since I've been able to go. And stuff with COVID right now going on probably doesn't <laughs> help matters at all. Right. Absolutely doesn't. Yeah, and that distance, you know, it's not like you're right around the corner. So going back and forth to to try and be in that area is, is probably challenging. Have you started any kind of websites or Facebook pages for Norma's case? Um, I have a Facebook page set up uh, looking for information for her, Norma Mae Martinez, on Facebook. It is open to the public, and so anybody can get on there and and uh, kind of look and see. Of course, there's not a lot of stuff that goes on her page outside of, you know, a few family members that post things on there. But it's a definitely a good way to spread the case. Maybe people listening down in the area can maybe share it on their social media, share it on their Facebook page, and just get it out yeah. there in front of uh, more people. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I um, I'm on a couple uh, 
different groups on Facebook, um, you know, missing and murdered, you know, unsolved murders and things like that. And so I share her, her poster and her story quite frequently. So, you know, hoping that somebody will say, Hey, I know something about that. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful way to go about it because the, the power of social media, the power of numbers of people being willing to share something is, is, helps a lot. It gets the word out there and maybe it gets in front of the right person uh, and then they can call in information and maybe make a difference. Right. Yeah. And, and can you say your page one more time? Her page is Norma May Martinez. And if people have questions or want to contact you there, they can send a message to you there. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you never know, maybe someone will, will contact you and have that, one piece of the puzzle that you need to, to have the case solved. Yes, hopefully. And the last thing I want to ask you, um, if the person that's out there that murdered your sister could hear your voice, what would you want to say to them? Well, I was asked that exact same question um, by CBS and Longview uh, the year after she died. And all I can say is that, I forgive you because I believe in the blood of Jesus and he would want me to forgive them. Um, but I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing until justice is done here on earth. I'm determined that I'm going to find who murdered my sister and I'm not going to stop until I find out. As we mentioned, that's, that's been a challenge, but it doesn't seem like uh, you're really going to be slowed down by distance or, or whatever. No, I can't be. I, I can't be. I saw my sister's body. I saw what they did to her before the funeral home did anything with her. And one reason I saw that is is so it would keep me determined to to find justice for her because she didn't deserve to die that way. Nobody deserves to die that way. And um, I just, I, I can't stop. I just can't stop. Well, I, I hope you stay determined, stay focused, and I wish you luck in, along the way in, in finding out what happened and maybe, like you mentioned, some of the things that are working on behind the scenes or maybe Parabon uh, will have some some opportunities to help see the case solved down the road. I hope so. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you doing this, this interview with me. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'd like to thank Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode. As we wrap up, I'd like to play a preview of the podcast, Criminal Conduct. We've just launched our second season, so be sure to give it a listen. We'll be back here soon with an all-new episode of The Murder of My Family, and I hope you'll join me for it. But before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. Criminal Conduct is back with a brand new season. John, what is a constable? Like a police officer, they can carry a gun, a badge, and drive around town with blue lights. But a constable is much more powerful than a regular police officer. In Kentucky, a constable has all the powers of a sheriff. He answers to no one but the voters on election day. And there's one constable in Kentucky that got our attention. Mike Wallace, the constable, was a walking civil rights violation. He's got a gun and a badge and is able to intimidate a lot of people. If he got behind me and turned his blue lights on, I ain't stopping. Constable Wallace has been accused of shaking people down and stealing their cash. It's kind of like giving the fox the keys to the chicken house. 
This Wally guy is notorious for planting drugs, stealing shit. Everybody knows it. It's just we just can't we just can't nail him. He said, but you know what? You might you just might be the difference. From the creators of Twisted and Pretend Podcast comes season two of Criminal Conduct. The new season starts on April 16th. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.